heaven that's here in your glory in this place. And Lord, I thank you for speaking through me by your Holy Spirit, everything that needs to be preached tonight under a mighty anointing. And Lord, everything will be said. There'll be a flow. There'll be a power in this. Lord, and even now, the Holy Spirit moving upon every person that's going to be listening or watching this, and that your Holy Spirit will help us to be good soil, to be locked in and focused, to give you our best here, our full attention, our focus. We're not going to be distracted. We're not going to be hindered. Lord, we just bind the enemy right now that would try to hinder, distract, resist, oppress in any way this from getting where it's supposed to accomplish and what it's supposed to. We bind you in the name of Jesus. You will back off right now. And Lord, I thank you for your mighty angels clearing any hindrance out of the way. And everything is going to be said tonight. It's going to be as living seeds of truth sown in a good soil, watered by the Spirit, take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains till Jesus comes. We thank you, Lord, for this. We bless you. We expect it now in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. All right. How many of you guys love the meat of the word? Okay. Y'all look this way. Give me your best ear tonight. I said, how many of you guys love the meat of the word? All right. So we're going to be getting into some deeper things through this series that you're probably not going to hear too many places, especially anymore. But there were people in times past, like Lester Sumrall and um, others, Derek Prince, have gone on to be with the Lord, that would preach along these lines and do an excellent job. And how many knows we need to preach the whole counsel of God? Amen. So as I look at this, I'm dealing with a series entitled Paranormal, and last week I dealt with the origins of Satan and his fall. And now tonight I want to deal with demonology. I eventually want to get into where demons come from and what they are, you see. Because a lot of people have never really been taught these things, and um, I think that you're going to get a lot out of it. I think it's going to be really interesting to you. But I want to open with Ephesians 5.11. This is the mandate as I'm teaching along these lines. The Bible says, do not participate in useless, useless deeds of darkness, okay? Do not participate in them, but instead we are to expose them, okay? So the Bible gives us a command as the church to expose it. And so I'm going to be dealing with a series of sermons in this where we're going to be exposing the enemy, how many knows he hates to be exposed? I'm getting ahead of myself. This isn't tonight's sermon, but eventually I will talk about the occult. But the word occult means hidden. And I think that a lot of times one of Satan's greatest strengths is when he's hidden. But whenever somebody exposes him, he automatically, just by being exposed, begins to lose a lot of power in that, you see. The devil hates to be exposed. So we're going to deal with some things I believe will be very eye-opening. And listen, when I present this tonight, I'm just presenting information, and I'm going to encourage everybody to do your own homework and to look into this and draw your own conclusions, because the, there are some things in here that the Bible just kind of gives us little tidbits, but doesn't paint the picture really well. How many knows if you got like a, a puzzle that you got to put together, and it's missing most of the pieces, you can put it together, and you get an idea but you don't see the whole thing. Well, there's certain topics that God has given us a piece of the puzzle, but he never was in depth on it. And some of these things tonight about, uh, for example, Lucifer's fall, about the pre-Adam world, uh, we have glimpses. Um, also with the origin of demons, we have glimpses. But the Bible isn't real specific. So 
I'm going to give you some information I think will be interesting to you. All right, so picking up where I left off last week. When Lucifer was thrown to the earth, okay, he was stripped, and there was a third of the angels that were thrown with him. You can only imagine how big him and a third of the angels being thrown to the earth. You know, I believe science is saying there was a meteor that struck, well, you know, there we are. I think that it was actually Satan's fall. But that would be, you know, God's wrath casting them to the earth. Jesus said, I saw him fall like lightning to the ground. So there was definitely some kind of a, a powerful explosion. Now, I'm going to show you a few things. When Satan fell, this is how things have set up now. When Satan fell, we know that he, we know the story of the fall of man, that he tempted Eve and deceived her and then Adam. And, but through that, Satan stole Adam's authority. And Adam was in a position of reigning uh, like a king over the earth and over this, probably this universe as we know it, but at least over the whole earth. I'm talking about the highest heights to the deepest depths. Um, God had invested in Adam like to rule over, to have dominion over this whole sphere, okay? And Satan stole that, and through that, Satan has placed this in power. I'm going to read Ephesians 6.10, and then we're going to kind of go back and look at a few things. But it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might, and put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, how many know sometimes we feel like it is? <laughs> but it's not. It says, but rather it's against what? Principalities and powers, world rulers of darkness, and spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. So it says, therefore, take up the full armor of God so you'll be able to resist on that evil day, having done everything to stand, stand firm. Now, this is what we're dealing with. We're dealing with a fallen kingdom. As I go... I'm going to talk about angels, I'm going to talk about demons, and I'm going to talk about there's a difference there. But fallen angels seem to be in the second heaven area. The third heaven is where God dwells. The apostle Paul said, I was taken up to the third heaven and shown many things. But the second heaven, obviously beneath that, is up where the sun, moon, and stars, and even up in the blue area, it is something over us. And that second heaven is where Satan has set up his rebellious kingdom against God. And in that, he has various principalities of rank and power that are set up to have thrones over various parts of the world. It could be over a nation. It could be over a city. It could be over even smaller things that we don't think about sometimes, like maybe a university will have kind of a strong man, almost like a little miniature prince over it. But they have like a throne, and they rule over that. And I don't think it's just geography. There's principalities. How many knows there's a principality behind Islam? How many knows there's a principality behind Buddhism? So sometimes it's not just geography. Sometimes there's, there's a prince behind ideology. And so there's various principalities and the, and the word principality comes from a Greek word, arche, where we get the word architect from. They're, these are fallen angels that are powerful and intelligent. And their sphere of dominion, 
they will study. They'll study the people, the culture. They study God's people, and they begin to blueprint, if you will, strategize out how they're going to set up a rebellious kingdom against God and set up strongholds there and lock everything down to where God will never move there, that it'll be a place that's spiritually dead and sterile where the things of the enemy seem to flourish and the things of God are hindered. That's what the enemy wants. And the only rival to that is when spirit-filled, powerful people move in and they begin to pray and they begin to evangelize and they begin to drive back the darkness and take it for the kingdom of God. And let me just tell you, there's been a really wrong mindset I've been challenging quite a bit in my sermons about the gates of hell will not prevail. People think, I think a lot of times, that it's like we're sitting here like in some defensive posture, getting just blow after blow of the enemy, and we're just kind of hanging on. No, that's not what that implies. If you actually read that in the Greek and look at it, what that actually is saying here is that we're supposed to be advancing and charging the gates of hell in different cities and regions and seeing them not prevail against us as we take, just like Joshua conquered Canaan, like that. We're supposed to be going in, being led by our captain. You don't just do it in presumption. But we're led by the Lord, and we go in, and we begin to take it for the kingdom, okay? So these principalities are over various spheres of dominion, if you will, in the earth, if I could use that word, and they reign there. And they're there until the Lord deals with them. And it seems in the book of Revelation there's going to come a time where they're cast down. If y'all read, remember reading that, because we went through it together. But they're there right now, and the way that principalities operate is they strategize, and then they have um, underlings under them that are actually quite powerful that are called powers. These powers carry out the principalities' attacks. So just like, for example, if I could use it this way, if we could speak like a metaphor, picture the principality being like the head and the torso but just like a boxer will strike with the right hand and then the left, powers, those are what the powers do. They carry out the right hand strike and then another one carry out the left. So they're coming in to, to uh, try to destroy what God is wanting to do and advance Satan's purposes. So you have the principality is like the, the intellect, but the powers carry out the attacks, Okay. Now, world rulers of darkness are altogether a little bit different. World rulers blanket the whole world with their influence. Just like, for example, the Antichrist spirit. That is a world ruling spirit. And so is Baal. And so there's actually several that are. But they blanket the entire planet with their influence. Those are very, very powerful beings. And so Paul begins to describe them, if you will, like a sinister dark cloud over the entire world when he says that we're not fighting against flesh and blood. A lot of times, because of the influence of these things, we, we fight here, you know, with each other. We fight, and we think that this person over here is the problem. But Paul's trying to say, look, I know you think that way, and I know you feel that way, but the truth is that that's really not the battleground. The battleground is up there. And it's like a dark, sinister cloud over the whole planet that's made up of various principalities and powers and world rulers that, that blanket the planet with satanic influence. 
and they try to lock everything down so that it's hard to evangelize. Now, there's a true story. I read this, and I found it fascinating. There was a group of people, and if I remember right, the border there was, was like Ecuador, uh, Paraguay, some, somewhere in there. And I, here, but here's the story to make the point. There was a group of missionaries that were out, and they were evangelizing. And they, and they had been passing out pamphlets about the gospel that, that some called tracts or whatever. They were passing out pamphlets. They were talking to people. And they said in this one particular, they were right there at the border. Like here in Texas, we have the Texarkana border. You can be, you know, right here you're in Texas, and then you can step over at the border and be in Arkansas. Just, you know, it's like a border, okay? And they were right at the border, and they were doing a lot of evangelism. And, and one of them remarked, how few people on this side of the border would accept the Lord at all. I mean, they would just ignore them. They, they didn't want a pamphlet. If they got one, they would throw it on the ground. They were very resistant. But he noticed as he looked over to some of his comrades over there witnessing, he noticed that they were having people that were really paying attention, that, that were engaged. And so as time went on, he kept seeing this, and he noticed that some people were going from where he was that direction and some of the very people he had witnessed to, he noticed that they were stopping and talking to them. And he thought, well, this is really weird. And so he, he began to um, try to witness to a guy, and he noticed the guy didn't want to hear it, crosses the border, so he runs over there to where he's at, tries to witness to him again now, and he noticed the guy stopped and listened to him. And he said, okay, now something is very strange. And the long and short of it was this, as they were talking about, about this subject, about principalities. And they, as, after they looked into this, they found that the church of the one nation in that area had been a very powerful church that had been in prayer and spiritual warfare and that they had kind of got things bound up. They, they had uh, plundered the enemy, so to speak, and they were seeing a move of God, and it freed up the heavens, it freed up the people, but the other side didn't at all, and it was oppressed. And so it was very difficult. And so the, how many knows the battleground is in the heavens? That's where the gates of hell are kind of established. All right, so I'm going to talk about some things tonight that maybe you haven't heard. I've, I've preached this many times down through the years, but it's been a while. And I'm going to talk a little bit about not only the origin of Satan, uh, but about fallen angels and demons tonight. Because a lot of people look into this, and they, they, they're curious, you know, they hear about things that particular houses that seem to have paranormal activity or different stories or maybe things that they've experienced. I'm going to tell you, being in the ministry as long as I have, you would be shocked how many people have had strange encounters in their lives that they don't talk about because they don't want people to think they're a weirdo, so they don't talk about it. But I'm telling you, they'll come talk to a preacher about it. And you would be surprised how many people have had things happen to them, and have had strange paranormal activity. All right, so I'm going to look tonight about a, a couple different places, and I want you to really try to follow me, because this may be something you've never heard or thought about. So it may just be one of those things like, man, what in the world? Just hear me out. So number one, I'm going to start with Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 23, okay? And Jeremiah you remember me talking about last week how there's layers of revelation with these prophets? It's in Revelation too, the book of Revelation. I mean, you see like layers of revelation. Okay, 
He said this, he said, I looked at the land, and behold, it was formless and void. Now, that sounds familiar. And he says, and at the heavens, and they had no light. Now, that's very interesting, because even in times of judgment, like Noah's judgment, where the, the world was flooded, there was still the sun, moon, and stars. There was still light, okay? And he said, I looked at the mountains, and behold, they trembled, and the hills moved uh, to and fro. He said, I looked and behold, there was no man and all the birds of the air had fled. I looked and behold, the fruitful land was a desert and all the cities laid waste before the Lord's presence and before his fierce anger. So Jeremiah is seeing something here that's, that's interesting. Now, in Hebrews 11 verse 3, it mentioned this. It said that the worlds were framed. Has anybody ever thought about that? Do you remember reading that? Worlds were framed. And then it talked about 2 Peter 3, 5 through 7, that the earth of old was flooded, which we know in the days of Noah. But I wonder if there wasn't something even before that. And I'm going to show you what I mean. In Job chapter 9, verses 5 through 7, it says, look at this scripture. This is really interesting. God who moves the mountains, and they know it not when he overturns them in his anger. When in the world has God overturned mountains in his anger who shakes the earth out of place and the pillars of it trembled? Now, if the earth was shaken out of its place, out of its orbit, we all kind of know that we'd either burn up or freeze to death, right? Got... Okay, so when has God overturned mountains and shook the earth out of its place. And it, look at this, verse 7, who commands the sun and it rises not, who seals up the stars from view. So when has God shut off the sun, moon, and the stars from shining? And then it goes on to say, who alone stretches out the heavens and treads upon the waves in high places of the sea. So you see a reference here of waters and he treads upon the waters. Well, I'm just going to give you something to think about. This is something I've thought about for, for many, many years, studied, and I, and I believe there's something to this. Could it be that back before Lucifer fell, I've already gone through it last week enough for you to know about worship leading. He, he was a, a Caribbean and all that. But before he fell that he had some kind of a priesthood that he was overseeing that had to do with maybe worship, and as, as we understand, worship, prayer, etc. but it was like a ministry unto the Lord. And maybe he was like a, kind of like Aaron was the high priest, maybe that was kind of like what he was, some kind of a worship leader. And he would minister there at the temple in heaven. You go up the mount of God to God's throne where there was like some kind of a tabernacle of Moses up there, so to speak. Maybe that, but also, I wonder, because God threw Satan out of heaven to the earth. We know that. I wonder, I'm just going to tell you something that a lot of different Bible scholars believe. I tend to believe this, that there was something there on the earth that maybe was connected to Lucifer somehow. Maybe he had some kind of authority over it, whatever. But it shared, the earth seemed to share in his destruction. 
So most likely at that time, the earth had something on it that we are still digging up with these huge dinosaurs. And all this is very ancient. And there was something there. There was a creation there, a pre-Adam world that was probably beautiful. And isn't it interesting that it seems that all of the beings were reptilian and Satan has some kind of an affinity toward the snake and the reptile. Have you ever noticed that? So it was something there, and we don't know a lot about it because God hasn't told us. But could it be that when the Lord uh, stripped him and took the third of the angels and he took them together and he cast them on the earth, just like a, like a meteor, if you will, they hit the earth that was somehow maybe under Satan's uh, Lucifer's dominion, and it shares in Lucifer's destruction and judgment where God himself overturned mountains in his anger. He knocked the earth out of orbit. Are y'all hearing me? And he shut off the sun, moon, the stars, and the fountains of the deep broke open. Maybe there was a flood, and God just, I mean, just destroyed it and put Lucifer and his third of the angels there like a penal colony. In the very place that used to be beautiful, that somehow Lucifer had under his authority or whatever, now is just a destroyed wasteland, and it's dark, and it's like a place, like a jail cell, if you will, where they're trapped. And isn't it interesting also that who knows how much longer later that God comes along and decides, well, I'm going to recreate everything. And so he goes down there right where the devil is. Why didn't God pick another planet? But for some reason, God comes down there where Lucifer is, mind you, because we see him in the garden. I mean, he's there. And God decides that he's going to now... Um, create the earth again, it's already there. God didn't say, let there be an earth. It was there. Are y'all hearing me? He didn't say, let there be water. The water was there. But what God did was, he began to separate the light and darkness, which apparently has to do with his glory, like a spiritual thing, because later the sun, moon, and stars were created. But anyway, he separates the light. But then he separates up, he creates like a firmament above the earth where the waters are separate from the earth itself, then he separates the waters from land, and he begins to create. I mean, it's beautiful. We've all read this. I don't want to belabor the point, but after he creates the fowls of the air and all the the beasts of the field, and then he creates um, all the the fish and all that that's in the sea, um, he creates this beautiful garden, which is somewhere in the Middle East. Many believe like Iraq, that area because you can, the Tigris-Euphrates, you can read, and that's why they say that. But in modern-day Iraq area, and there was this beautiful garden, and he creates man, puts him in there, and all the while he's doing this, and Lucifer and his angels are in the background, but God gave Adam authority over everything there. So they were really no threat to him. Has anybody ever really thought about this before? So it is interesting, and it's called the gap theory because from Genesis 1.1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So when was that? 
but then it seems like the earth was in a destroyed condition, and it can read in the Hebrew, and the earth became, you know, des desolate and uh, dark and all of that. That's how it can read. It became that way, Genesis 1-2. And it says, the Holy Spirit began to brood over the waters, and that word there implies like a fluttering, like the power of God began to vibrate, if you will, over the waters. And God began to speak, and he began to recreate. In fact, in the Hebrew, when it's talking about the sun, moon, and stars, it seems to indicate almost, almost like they came on, like you'd flip a light switch, and they came on, you see. So apparently it is possible that God, when Lucifer was thrown to the earth, he wasn't thrown to Jupiter, he wasn't thrown to another planet, he was thrown to the earth. And these scriptures might be a reference to an ancient judgment and destruction that connected with Lucifer's fall. All right, now, that's where we get Lucifer from, and that's where we get fallen angels, okay? They fell. And before I get off of fallen angels, have you ever thought about this? There's a lot of different type of angels have you ever considered like the seraphim, the cherubim, and probably a lot of different types of angels, what all fell with Satan? Have you ever thought about that? There's a lot of times I think we think in human terms. We think, you know, well, they were all just like generic angels. Well, maybe, maybe not. So we don't know what all fell with him, uh, different types of angels. And with that, uh, we're going to move into Genesis 6 because this is connected to uh, where do demons come from. Uh, something to think about when you talk about fallen angels and demons. Again, I'm just giving information. So I'm not being real emphatic here. I'm just kind of speculating, asking questions, and giving you what the Bible says. I encourage people, do your own homework, draw your own conclusions. But in regards to you know, different Bible scholars have studied, well, what are the origins of demons? Because fallen angels have a body. Have you ever thought about that? They were able to come down and procreate with women. They have a body. But demonic spirits are disembodied spirits that roam the earth and the underworld. You're not dealing with the same thing. See, a lot of people have never really been taught about this in church. Now, there are people, Bible scholars and such, that talk about these things, but a lot of just regular church attendees and church services don't talk about these things. And so people don't know. But there is a difference. Now, there's three different opinions about demons. The first is probably the one we've all heard and what people think is that well, the third of the angels that fell are demons. Well, if you want to use the word demon being like just any evil spirit, period, whether it has a body or not, okay, well, then let's put them all in one big category. That's fine. But then there's also some Bible scholars that believe that when Lucifer was thrown to the earth and the earth was destroyed, that there was maybe some kind of beings that were on the earth at that time, maybe they were angelic, 
that were destroyed in that, and they became demons. That's what some people believe. I don't know. I mean, obviously, we weren't there, amen? So we don't, we don't know. But that is what some people believe, and there, there could be truth to that. Who knows? But I'm going to give you tonight something to think about as well, and that is about the Nephilim. And so Genesis chapter 6, verse 1 it says, when men began to multiply upon the face of the land, the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God. Now, this is angels. This is fallen angels in this particular case. The sons of God saw that the daughters of men were fair. They were beautiful. And they took wives of all that they desired and chose. So one fallen angel could have had 20 wives. I mean, look at Solomon, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Kind of an extreme case there, wasn't it? What was wrong with that guy, right? But the sons of God saw the daughters of men and that they took wives of all they chose. And then they said, and then God said, this is, you know, this is a very condensed version of this story here. And I'm going to show you this. Then the Lord said, my spirit shall not forever dwell or strive with man for he is flesh and his days will be 120 years. So God, you remember how people back then would live so like, you know, five, six hundred years, seven, eight, nine hundred years. I mean, how many would want to live to be eight hundred years old, okay? And it was funny when I was reading the genealogy of this. I mean, it was like people were having kids when they were like 100, 200, 300 years old. I was sitting there thinking, wow. So people had a long lifespan, and the Lord basically saw how wicked the world was, and God said, you know what? We're going to shorten that. Your days are going to be 120, Okay around that. And look, look at verse 4. It says, and there were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward, which we know that that's the case because look at, for one example, look at Goliath, okay? And it says, when the sons of God lived with the daughters of men, and they bore children to them, these were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. And the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination and intention of all human thinking was only on evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man upon the earth and he was grieved in his heart. And in the Hebrew there, that's like a deep grief. So the Lord said, I will, I will destroy, blot out, wipe out uh, mankind whom I've created from the face of the ground. Not only man, but the beast and creeping things and birds of the air for it grieves me, makes me regretful that I've made them. But verse 8, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the history of the generations of Noah. Noah was a just and righteous man, blameless in his generation. Now, this is important, what I'm about to say. When it says right there, blameless in his generations, what that actually means in the Hebrew is that his blood did not have any Nephilim DNA in it. That's actually what that means. Look up the Hebrew, study it yourself. So Noah was blameless. He was not defiled in his DNA with the fallen angels, okay? And Noah walked in, in habitual fellowship with God, and Noah became the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, Noah's granddaddy was who? Does anybody know? Enoch, the one who walked with God and was no more. And so Enoch, or great-granddad, I believe. I believe Enoch had a son, Methuselah. That guy lived a long time. And then he had uh, Lamech, 
And then from Lamech, there was um, Noah. So anyway, this is something that I'm going to kind of, is it okay that I just present some things to you tonight, just give you information? All right. So anytime that we study, uh, there's 66 books in the Bible, and that we call that the canonized scriptures, okay? And the reason why people say, well, what does that mean, canonized? Well, what it means is, is that it measures up. Like you would measure it, like picture like a yardstick, and it would measure up, okay? So the reason why we have these 66 books is that they've met the standard that they are the Word of God. And I believe with all my heart that the 66 books of the Bible that we have is 100% the perfect Word of God. And it was prophesied because if you look at the menorah and the tabernacle of Moses and you count the knobs, buds, and bowls on all of it, it was 66 of them. And that represents God's word because the Bible says the word would be a lamp unto my feet and a light in my path, and that was the light. So God foresaw that they would be the 66 books. Now, I'm saying that because there's nothing wrong with some other writings, and they can be very helpful. But whether it's ancient writings or whether it's new writings today, they have to be measured by the word. That means that if they agree with the word, that's wonderful. We can learn from it. But if they begin to go against the word of God, what do we do with them? Throw them out, okay? So measure everything by the word. All right. Now, I said that because one of the writings that you can draw from in this story is an ancient book of Enoch. And the early church fathers read this and studied it. And they seemed to really like the book of Enoch. In fact, Jude, in your Bible, quoted from it word for word. Okay, and that's in the Bible, and so he said that I see thousands upon thousands of with the Lord returns of his holy ones coming. That was straight out of the book of Enoch. And it says, and Peter also talked about the fallen angels that are bound down in darkness that left their abode. Remember that? He was, and he's talking about the book of Enoch. The apostle Paul referenced the book of Enoch. So it's, it's very obvious that our church fathers held the book of Enoch as being something that was historically accurate. Um, i give you another example just of historical accuracy. The Apostle Paul, being a rabbi, read a lot of Jewish writings that were, were not in our canonized scripture. Of course, we didn't even necessarily have it at that time. But, for example, do you remember when he was writing in Thessalonians, I believe, and he said in Janus and Jambres, who opposed Moses, did you know that that's not in the writings of, of um that Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, they were never named. Where did Paul get their names? He got them from other writings, you see. So there's nothing wrong with drawing from it. You just have to make sure that it doesn't contradict the word. And also, take it with a grain of salt. That, you know, there may be some inaccuracy. But in the book of Enoch, I'm just going to kind of tell you what it says, and it is very interesting. So those that have the notes... And if you're watching or listening, the notes are on our podcast. You can download them because I want you to be able to, um, to see this diagram here. And I want to give credit to Skywatch TV uh, for not only this diagram, but they have three DVDs called True Legends. There's three of them. One of them is called The Unholy Sea, but it's called True Legends. And they go in depth with this, and it's excellent. I really encourage people to buy those and watch them. So... 
in this particular diagram here, you can see that it was in, the book of Enoch says, in the days of Jared, that there were two, I'm just going to tell you what it says, okay? There were 200 angels, fallen angels, that were called watchers. And they, in essence, kind of made a suicide pact because they knew, they knew by doing what they were going to do that eventually God's judgment would come on them, okay? So y'all just look this way, listen to me. So the book of Enoch records there were 200 fallen angels called watchers. And they came together, kind of made a suicide pact that they were going to go down and they were going to begin to take wives unto themselves. And they descended in the days of Jared on Mount Hermon and they began to go and, and take wives unto themselves and began to have offspring with them. Now, keep in mind that one angel could have had several wives and through each wife could have produced several children. So the offspring, the unholy offspring that was not authorized by God, okay, that came forth, some of them were giants. And there have been those that have found these bones and, uh, and, and also we see it in the Bible with Goliath, but you, they found these bones all over the world, and they seem to have deformities. For one, many of them have had six fingers and six toes. That's interesting. They've had other deformities. They've had some, some of them have had elongated skulls. Of course, they were huge. Now, from what I've researched from people that know, it seems like where there were Nephilim tribes, that somebody that was eight, nine feet like Goliath, they weren't even considered that big because there were, there were many that were actually a lot taller and bigger than that, upward to 12 to 15 feet tall. Can you imagine? How many have heard of Josephus? You remember he was a Jewish historian, and he, he has great, uh, his writings are highly esteemed, Okay brilliant mind, very accurate. And he wrote about the giants, and he said in his day, he was talking about the bones. And he said that there were bones on display in Jerusalem in his day. And this is what he said. He said these giants were of such huge stature, and their faces were so different than the normal that you would see of men. And this is what he said. They were shocking to the look and their voices were terrifying to the hearers. Now, we can only imagine how big. There are bones. I'm not saying that a whole lot that were like this per se. I don't, who knows? But there are bones. I want you to really think about this. That were upward to 20-something feet tall. Can you imagine the height? So these giants were huge. And they don't just go upward like a beanpole. I mean, they fill out. Uh, they were massive. I can only imagine, and we can only speculate, how terrifying it would have been to see these people that were that large. Their countenances were, that, were such, Josephus said it was terrifying. Their voices would have terrified people. Not only that, I would imagine that because they were part um, fallen angel, that they had a power about them 
for example, that they could look at somebody and literally just kind of throw them on the ground and pin them under a power, like a demonic power. Or maybe pick them up and choke them in the air or something. They, these were powerful, dangerous beings. And they were absolutely not authorized by God at all to even have existed. So now the Nephilim began to multiply upon the earth. And um, the book of Enoch says that because they were so big, they began, to, um, they began to eat all of the vegetation. They began to eat up all the livestock. And over time, eventually, they began to run out of food. So what did they do? They began cannibalizing human beings. And that's when God stepped in. So... We know the story, God sent the flood. But anyway, also the book of Enoch records, this is going to sound really crazy, but the book of Enoch records that these fallen angels also sinned with the animals. And this is a supernatural, remember this, guys, before you discount this. Angels are supernatural beings, therefore their seed has a supernatural element there. It's supernatural. And as they sinned with the animals, it was producing this weird hybrid, like uh, centaurs and minotaurs and this hybrid. And you know, isn't it interesting that demonic beings, that people have said that, you know, and you can see it even in lore, that people have said that you see like what, like a half goat, half man type of demonic spirit. Isn't this interesting, you see? And so there was all this bizarre stuff going on. Why, were the, why was Satan doing this in the first place? Well, God told Satan to his face in the Garden of Eden that I'm going to put enmity between you, your seed and the seed of the woman. And you may strike him, but he's going to crush your head. And so he knew, y'all please hear what I'm saying, he knew that eventually out of the human race, the seed of the woman, out of the human race would come a Messiah, a last Adam, that would be the one that would be his ultimate demise. So what, why was Satan doing this? I'll tell you why. He wanted to so pollute the DNA of the human race thoroughly and completely where, where God, it would abort God's plan to bring a Messiah through the human race. That's what he was trying to do. And I'm going to cut it short, but these fallen angels, when God began to get angry and do something about it, he sent some of his angels. And they began to cause these Nephilim to turn on each other and fight and destroy each other. And the fallen angels that took that suicide pact, if you will, some of them came to Enoch and asked Enoch, listen to this, to intercede for them to the Lord to have mercy on them. <laughs> and Enoch's like, oh, I'm not going to go there, mate, you know. But... Um, it was bad. And see, Enoch lived in those days when this was all beginning to happen. But here's the interesting thing. It says that they descended in the days of Jared, which was around 960. And then we know the flood of Noah was around 1656. Do you understand? I don't think any of us realize this, that it was around approximately... 1,296 years that the Nephilim were on the earth. 
Has anybody realized how long that is? And how much reproduction there could have been in that amount of time? Because they weren't just having male children, they were also having female Nephilim, and they were procreating. So, I mean, this, this filled the earth with the Nephilim. Also, we still have testimony of this all over the world. There has been giants dug up literally all over the world. Some of them enormous in stature. And we also have megalithic structures that they've built all over the world. And if you look at these, there's people that have physically gone there and researched this. The stones that make up these megalithic structures were so huge that today, with our technology today, we would still have an extremely difficult time and possibly not even be able to do this today with modern technology. Are y'all hearing me? It almost looks as though some of these huge, massive stones were somehow maybe heated, and it looks like marshmallows that were smushed together and then hardened where you can't even get a piece of paper in between them. But see, Enoch records that these fallen angels, when they came down, that they also brought knowledge to the human race. They brought knowledge about using metals and forging metals, and they would have obviously brought knowledge about these sort of things, how to make these structures that, I might add, have existed to this day. They made it through the flood of Noah, and they're still standing today in many places. You understand how amazing that is. You're looking at 4, 000, more than 4,000 years ago. And so there was a technology there that fallen angels brought uh, to the Nephilim. And also, it's quite interesting that a lot of these places of worship still standing all through America and all over the world, that they had knowledge that they wouldn't have had unless fallen angels gave it to them. And I'll give you one example. They had things set up there for an 18-year, six-month lunar cycle that they would have had no way of even knowing. Can you imagine trying to, for 18 years, 18.6 years, study the different cycles of the moon to be able to create a place of worship that had stones erected set upon that? They would have had no way of doing that thousands and thousands of years ago. Today, with our technology and with the invention of computers, we could figure that out but they wouldn't have been able to know that. And these places were very, it's interesting too, because some of those that traveled and did this, they believed that first off, there was much of it that was before the flood, okay? It was destroyed in the flood. But the Bible says also afterward. And so we see when Moses, they were sent the spies into the land of Canaan, what did they come back and say? There's giants in the land, and to them, we would only look like grasshoppers. We don't stand a chance. So we know that they were giants after the flood. Not to mention David fought Goliath and his brothers, etc. His brothers uh, were also Nephilim. When Joshua went into the land of Canaan and conquered it, there was no doubt a dispersion of these. And they went to different parts of the world, and they began to build structures 
where there was obviously, you know, abominable things that go on with blood sacrifices and all this. But during that time, around 4,000 years ago, okay, when, they, when Joshua came in and scattered them, you know what the prevailing um, astrological sign would have been that they would, it would have been Draco. You know what that is? The dragon. Who's the principality and the powers of the air? It is Lucifer, the dragon. And they built these structures. They've also studied this, and I'd like to know how this is possible, that you can now, with Google Map, pull back, and you can look at these various structures, and you can draw lines to each of them, and they connect all over the world. And anybody that knows anything about ley lines in the occult, but how in the world would a tribe over here and a tribe in another part of the world, it intersect perfectly like that without there being supernatural, you know, something there supernatural to assist in this. So Satan had set things up across the world through these Nephilim that those, the worship sites were somehow connected all over the world. They were connected to the astrological uh, rotation, etc., of the moon. It's amazing. But this came through fallen angel technology and knowledge that has been lost. Now, I, don't, I can't go into much more because I'm going to lose people because it's too much information. But as we talk more about Nimrod, and I'm going to talk about uh, the mystery cults and how that is dispersed among the nations, I'll talk about that another time when we look at the occult. But the book of Enoch records this, and this is what I wanted to get to about the origin of demons. He recorded that when God flooded the earth and destroyed the earth, that all of the Nephilim were killed in the flood, but it said because they were not human, they were some hybrid being, that part of the punishment was that they would have to roam the earth without bodies, and they became what we know as demons. Have you ever thought about that? That when you're dealing with demonic spirits, disembodied spirits, you could be dealing with dead Nephilim. I think there's some truth to that. So regardless, we know that there was a third of the angels that fell. These are fallen angels. There could have been a pre-Adamic race that was destroyed on the earth that became demons. I guess that's possible. But also, it, there's a theory that many prescribe to that demons are actually the dead Nephilim. And let me just say two more things as I, I'm going to close. I'm going to give one more thing about the Nephilim, then I'm going to close out with Jesus' deliverance ministry. But when you look at all the ancient um, mythology, have you guys ever looked at some of this just in school? And, and I mean, you look at Norse mythology. You look at some of the Egyptian mythology and the hieroglyphics. And you look at Greek mythology. That apparently in Greek mythology, there were some that that there was these gods that came down and procreated with women. And there was, there was this one in Greek, I don't remember the, the details, but the people there had to perform all these sacrifices and rituals to appease this god because it used to be one of those Nephilim giants that ruled that area, but now was there without a body, and it was, it was a very vengeful, angry entity that they constantly felt they had to worship and, and offer sacrifices to appease it. Isn't that weird? 
And it makes you wonder, just, just speculate, it makes you wonder about some of these things. Like how many have ever heard the story that's supposedly mythology about the lost city of Atlantis? Has anybody ever heard this? That apparently this god came down, procreated with a woman, and produced these children. One of them, Atlas or whatever, Atlantis, Atlas. But the city was named Atlantis. And how was it destroyed? It was submerged under a great flood of water and lost and destroyed. Do you see what I'm saying? You can go all over the world and you go back to their ancient text. And all over the world, there are stories of these demigods and the gods coming down to women and a great flood. Did y'all know that? It's all over the world. So I'm just presenting this and encourage people to look into it. Um, and then I want to close with this, though. Jesus' deliverance ministry, Mark 1, verse 21. I want everybody to take notice. This is Mark chapter 1. We're not in Mark 13, 14. No, no. We're in Mark 1. Verse 21. They went to Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue, began to teach. They were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one with authority and not as the scribes. Just then there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit and cried out, saying, What business do you have with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet, come out of him. After throwing him into convulsions and crying with a loud voice, the unclean spirit came out of him, and they were all amazed. So they debated among themselves, saying, Who is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even commands unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately news spread about him everywhere into the surrounding region of Galilee. Did you know that after Jesus was baptized, and he faced the devil in the wilderness, and he came back in the power of the Holy Spirit, did you know that this is the first thing that he did? Did y'all know that? His first thing he did was he went to this synagogue and he cast a demon out of somebody. And I'm just making a point here that everybody loves the healing ministry. Jesus delivered just as many people as he healed. Jesus had just as much of a deliverance ministry as he had a healing ministry. And I think in these last days, I believe that Jesus is going to pour out his spirit in one of the most probably greater than even the early church saw on the day of Pentecost because of the lateness of the hour, the darkness, the thick darkness on the earth, and the need for it. And I believe the Lord is going to pour out his spirit. And I believe because humanity has been going so deep into sin. I mean, there's things in our generation that people are doing that 100 years ago they didn't do. I mean, in America, you're seeing people that are now, especially through the entertainment industry, dabbling in all kinds of occult stuff. You know, there's all kinds of, of sexual promiscuity, ungodly substances people are abusing, uh, and people are opening themselves up without realizing it to demonic infestation in their lives. And I believe as the Lord comes in this last great revival we're about to see, one of the ways he's going to come is not only to save the lost, but he's going to come in a way to deliver the captives that we have never seen. And you know what? The Lord himself is going to come do it. And he's going to drive out everything out of people. He's going to clean them up, and he's going to get them ready to meet him in the air. He's the great deliverer, isn't he?
All right, so Lord, we thank you. We thank you so much for this time in the word. And Lord, let this be sealed tonight. We thank you for the power of your spirit. And Lord, we love your word and we thank you. You alone are worthy of all the glory. Let, let this go where it needs to be and accomplish what it's supposed to. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, I have to keep it within a certain